Game Blitz, a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to unpack and repack all the components of an epic game that you lovingly put away into the lid of the box. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we are talking about the tactile nature of board games. First, we discuss a couple games we played recently, In the Palm of Your Hand, Codex Naturalis, and King Domino. Then, we talk about how good, or not so good, board game components can feel when you get your hands on them. And now, here are your hosts, Bambi and Crystal. Recently, I got a review copy of In the Palm of Your Hand from Achette Games. So In the Palm of Your Hand was published in 2020 by La Boite de Jeux, designed by Timothée Decroix. And it's a party game, a team party game, where you're trying to guess Dixit-type cards. So in the game, there's a deck of cards that look like Dixit, like surreal art dream things. It's supposed to be like memories of a grandfather. The story is that there's a child describing the memories of the grandfather and like helping them re-remember the memories. I think if you put all of the cards in order from one to however many cards there are, they have little numbers in it, then it shows like the whole story of the grandfather's life, which is kind of cool. I haven't done it, but it says in the rule book (laughs) that you can do that. But anyway, so you have these cards and then one person is going to be a child and one person is going to be the grandparent. The grandparent has their eyes closed and their hand out and the child is going to be miming the art on the card. So they like pick the card and look at it and then they have these different objects like there's a ring, there's like a spinning top, there's different cubes, a string, a cloth and you can put that on the hand and then like put different items on the hand and like move them around or something. (laughs) So you're trying to like do charades in the hand and then the person has their eyes closed and they're just feeling it. So they don't know necessarily like what items you're picking up. They just know what they feel. So even if you're like, if you spit a top on there and you're like, oh, to me, this looks like a spinning top, but the person just feels like a point, right? (laughs) Like they're not going to feel a spinning top. They're not going to know that. So you have to like try to somehow get them to know what you're miming and like point them towards the card. Meanwhile, the other team is watching you and they see what you mime with their eyes open. They have a hand of cards and they're picking which of their cards will match. And so that's kind of like in Dixit where people put in things that match the thing that they see. With more teams, like more people will be putting in those cards and you do two memories each time. So like the person who has their eyes closed has to remember what's the first one and what's the second one. And then after they open their eyes, there's going to be eight cards to pick from. Either multiple teams have been putting in cards or you fill in cards from the deck. And then they have to answer like, this was card one and this was card two. And you get points if you get it correctly, but you have to get the order correctly. And then the other teams get points if they pick their card. So I liked the concept of this, but it's really hard. (laughs) That's what I was, honestly, I was going to ask you because it sounds super cool and fascinating, Mm -hmm. but all I could think was it's taken Dixit and then what's the, there's a, the the team-based party game that's similar to Dixit. Muse? Yes, Muse. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's like Dixit to Muse to now in the palm of your hand is like, so like easy, medium and hard mode, right? Like if you want to play that type of game. Yeah, the first time we played, I guessed both of the cards like perfectly. I was the only one who guessed any of them correct. Oh, wow. (laughs) So we only play like five players or four players, only two teams. I think it would be a lot more fun with more teams going because then everyone's like all the cards that are in were put in specifically after seeing the mime. Whereas like it's just random cards with just two teams. So Well, and that that... can be frustrating in games like in Belrati, you put in, Mm -hmm. you know, random cards from the deck and sometimes the random cards fit so perfectly (laughs) that like... Like, you're just, you're, you're like, no, like, come on. Like, it doesn't feel fair, right? Yeah. Well, but here, like, the other team is trying to make cards that fit.
it perfectly, so. Yeah. But at least then it was intelligently yeah, chosen, it? <laughs> not just random chance. Yeah, that's true. And then some cards are easier to mime than others. Like they have big objects that you can make them feel, whereas other other cards are harder. And when you're the team that's going, you just draw the top card from the deck and that's what you have to mime. So that can be kind of hard and kind of feel unfair a little because like depending on what you draw, it could be kind of hard to get them to guess it. But like it was fun. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but one of my friends does not like Dixit type games, so <laughs> he did not like this. <laughs> it's not going to make you like these types of games if you already don't like them. But it was a cool twist on it, and it is, it's really hard, yeah. So if you want a harder version where closing your eye, it's different because like you're closing your eyes and feeling things and what you feel is very different than what people see. <laughs> it's also fun as the other team like trying to guess what card it was because like you don't know what the card was that they were miming. So you, you try to remember you saw what they did and like, okay, I think they were trying to do this. That's fun. Guessing to yourself obviously, because you don't want to give away the answer. But yeah, so that's in the palm of your hand. Another party game, Dixit mixed with what? I don't know. <laughs> charades, and <laughs> blind charades in your hand. <laughs> Well, I got a review copy a while back that took me a while to get around to, and I am regretting waiting so long. So spoiler <laughs> alert, you're about to hear about something I love. Codex Naturalis is the name of the game. There is technically a theme. You're basically continuing the work of a monk who is assembling a manuscript. The theme means nothing, basically, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned, and that's not a bad thing, just for the record. But I'm just very clearly going to say that the theme is not the thing to worry about here. <laughs> this is another one of those games that's going to be really difficult to describe in an audio medium. So I'm going to do my best. But basically in Codex Naturalis, you have cards that have different elements on them. Most cards have their corners a different color than the rest of the card. And some of those corners will show resources. The middle of the card might also show resources. And then at the top of the card, if it is a certain type of card, it may show a way in which you can earn points when you play it. What you're going to do is you start with a single card in front of you, and then you're going to be picking cards from a public display. There are regular cards and gold cards, and the gold ones are basically just harder to pay for resource-wise, and they also are going to give you more points generally, but you can draw from either deck. There's going to be two face-up from each deck always, and then you can draw from the deck instead of picking up from the face-up ones as well. When you play cards, you have to play onto a corner of a previously placed card. You can't place on more than one corner of a single card, but you can place on corners of multiple cards. So you end up with this weird sprawling kind of grid, but they're all just connected at the corners. It's one of those games that like, when you look at it, it looks like another card laying whatever game. This is one of those ones though, that for me personally has that magic. Like as soon as we started playing it for the first time, I was like, oh, oh wait, this is good. I can't really put it into words why it's so good. 
All of the players are working toward two public objectives, which will give you points at the end of the game. And then each player has a private objective as well. And basically those objectives are trying to get you to have certain things displayed in your tableau, which affects which cards you play where. Because like I said, some of the corners of the cards have resources on them. But if you need to add more cards to your tableau, you might have to cover up those resources on some of the corners. So you have to play very intelligently. And some of the goals also want you to create certain patterns of the different colors of cards in your grid. And that can be difficult as well, especially if you, again, don't want to cover up resources on the corners of some of your cards. I just, I love it. <laughs> it is so fun. It's a small box game published by Luma and Bombix, designed by Thomas DuPont. I don't think I've played a ton of games because Bombix and Luma, don't their games don't always come over to the States. And I'm going to keep just saying how good it is without actually being able to tell you why. I really, really love this game. It is simple. Simple, but crunchy. Like you have to really think kind of two steps ahead as far as placing cards. And the first time we played, I literally like I put some stuff down and then I realized later I was like, oh, I shouldn't have put that there because now I have to do this to get that. Mm. And I also messed up the rules a couple of times just on placing certain things on certain corners. Needless to say, I figured out the rules eventually and it's great. It's super great. I would recommend it. And I don't even know who to tell should play this game. If you like quick resource engine card playing games, which is pretty generic, I'd say you might like this. <laughs> so please, if you think that sounds great, which I don't know why you would, it wasn't a great, great description, but uh, try out Codus Naturalis. <laughs> I quickly also wanted to talk about King Domino. And I'm sure some of you are probably thinking, Crystal, you've reviewed King Domino like years ago. Like you, you, you talk about it a lot as one of your favorite <laughs> games. Like, why are you talking about King Domino? Well, I have mentioned on the podcast before that I years ago bought a second copy of King Domino because I had heard the designer talk on a podcast. I believe it was Ludology forever ago, but I'm not 100% certain. He talked about how if you combine two copies of the game, you can play a two-player game of King Domino where you build out a 10 by 10 grid, which is way bigger than the 7 by 7 grid you can play with two players normally in a single box. And I've been wanting to do this for years and I finally did it, y'all. It is nonsensical to build a kingdom that big. And the points were like so high. I had a single section of my kingdom that scored more than a regular seven by seven grid in a two player game would in total. Like one section scored more than my total in a normal game uh, with a seven by seven. I will just say, if you are like me and you enjoy tile laying games and you especially love King Domino, like I do, it's worth doing. I still <laughs> love playing King Domino regularly, the five by five, the seven by seven. And I don't think I'll bust out the 10 by 10 too often, but it was it was a really fun and interesting challenge because there was two of every tile in the game. So you're having to think really far ahead about what your opponent is building toward and what you are building toward, because if one player can get all of the crowns and a lot of the tiles for a specific land type, it's really easy to get those points to go up exponentially. So I just had to mention it because I've talked about it before and I finally did it. King Domino's 10 by 
by 10 gets two thumbs up from me. <laughs> Did you start running out of table space or? Still? You know, it actually, on my Wormwood game table, it uh-huh. fit pretty decently. Like Kathy and I <laughs> were able to sit across from one another and we just mm-hmm. put the supply of tiles a little off to the side, but our two grids fit without having to do any real finagling. So oh. it did cover a lot of the table. I have a picture that I took. <laughs> I, I, maybe I'll post it on our social media pages after this episode goes live. <laughs> we technically messed up how you're supposed to start. We didn't realize that you don't just start with the regular castle in the middle like you do in normal mm-hmm. King Domino. There's a different setup for the start in this modified version, which we got wrong, but it didn't matter. We still had a ton of fun with it. <laughs> cool. Today, for our thematic segment, we're going to talk about the tactile nature of board games. So in the game that I talked about, In the Palm of Your Hand, that's very tactile. I I just realized now that this fit with the theme, but like, this is a very extreme example of playing board games and feeling the components of board games, because that's the mechanic of, of the game where you're feeling the components. But outside of that, people often play board games as opposed to video games because of the tactile nature, because they want to feel the components in their hand, they wanna like riffle the cards, <laughs> they wanna like put pieces on the board physically. So we wanted to talk some about that and what our favorite components are. Yeah, it's interesting because video games, for me at least, tend to be more immersive because Mm -hmm. it's easier for a video game to, I think, build out a world. Video games have some advantages over board games in that respect, Mm -hmm. but there is something to be said for playing a game like Descent, for instance, which I talked about in a somewhat recent episode of the podcast, where you're laying out all of this cool terrain and you're physically moving your character through the terrain through the scenario you're uncovering new areas it's neat to see it all laid out on the table and to be able Mm -hmm. to physically interact with the space that your character is playing in yeah that's fun and even like for things that aren't thematic i don't remember who i was talking with the other day we were talking about chess and how it's not very thematic but the pieces are just so cool (laughs) like just having like a nice wooden chess set with just like the normal chess pieces the pieces look so fun and they're just fun to move around because my kids like playing around with the chess pieces they look so neat (laughs) it's like so fun to just move them they're nice and heavy and like a nice chess set (laughs) yeah so abstract games a lot of times actually abstract games have really nice components that are very pleasant to move around the board that's true and i will say yeah a lot of plastic smooth often components Mm -hmm. i would say it's one of those things that i i think i'm struggling with a little bit because as i was going through my collection and picking out games that had components in them that I really enjoy Mm -hmm. futzing around with (laughs) in the midst of a game, a lot of them are made of plastic. And I Mm -hmm. truly am kind of in the camp of we should be using less plastic in board games if we Mm -hmm. can. So I imagine that that's got to be tough for board game publishers because cardboard, even if it's thick and well-made, it's got less longevity than plastic does. But that's kind of the point, right? Plastic is forever and that's (laughs) not good either. So... To me, a game like Reef, for instance, by Emerson Matsuchi, the little coral pieces in that game 
I can't fathom them being something other than the plastic pieces that they are, that you're stacking Mm -hmm. on top of each other. Like, it wouldn't work as cardboard in the same way. So I think plastic is nice in certain situations, but I also own games that have components that are not made of plastic that I really enjoy messing around with. Yeah, I actually really like wooden pieces. So in a lot of farming Uwe Rosenberg games, there's a lot of like the wooden resource components. Like in Caverna, there's like wooden animeeples and like wooden farm produce shaped things. Like I really like those. I do too. Fun shaped <laughs> yeah. like meeples, like wooden uh-huh. pieces that are shaped to represent the thing that they're actually mm-hmm. You know, like instead, like a cube is not that exciting to me. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. you can tell me that that red cube is food, but it doesn't look like food. It looks <laughs> like a cube. Whereas, yeah, what you're saying in some games, they make the components look more mm-hmm. like the thing they represent. Or in a game that I've been playing a lot recently, Artisans of Splendid Vale, instead of having plastic miniatures, all of the characters and all of the bad guys are wooden meeples, but they're unique and they're screen printed. Mm-hmm. So they look pretty cool. And some of them are big and some of them are little. And that actually applies to the mechanics of the game as mm-hmm. well. I think it's a really good example of a game that's using wooden components well mm-hmm. and still not taking you away from the theme and the immersion. Yeah, Root also has wooden screen printed cute components. I've only played that one once, but yeah, like they have a lot of different factions now with each their own different shape and color and little screen printed face on it. <laughs> so that's cool. I actually own Root on my Nintendo Switch. It was on sale oh. one day, so I bought it. I should see if I can find somebody else that owns it. Or I don't know if it's cross-platform because I know it's on Steam as well. Mm-hmm. Does anybody listening own Root and want to play it with me? <laughs> because I would like to play it more. So talking about wooden components, there's definitely some that I really like. One of my favorites, and this would actually apply to, I think, a lot of dexterity games, but one of my favorites is the ladders in Catch the Moon. The ladders are all, well, they're not all, like they're slightly different. Like some of them are longer or shorter or like the rungs are twistier or only half completed. And they just feel nice to play with. And since every ladder is a little bit different, while you're actually playing the game and trying to hang these ladders basically on top of each other, you really get that nice tactile feel. Same thing for a game like Suspend, where you're hanging little metal rods all over the place. Like, the feel of it is important because... You're trying not to knock stuff over. Yeah, it's like super important in a dexterity game because that's the, the components are what you're playing with. Like that's part of the mechanics in a dexterity game, right? So the feel of it is very important. And then flicking games too, like in Crokinole, it's like nice wooden things and sliding across a smooth wooden surface. Like it's important to have that be nice and smooth and nice feeling. Because like if you flick it and it's just like... Oh. <laughs> could, could you make that noise again for us real quick? I need to, uh, if it goes like what, Ampy? <laughs> you flick it and he goes, uh, that was <laughs> oh, okay. the same noise. Yep, yep, I totally know what you're talking about but like, now. <laughs> but then when you, when you have a nice board and it's like nice, you flick it and it goes... And then you're like, oh, that's so nice. Very satisfying. <laughs> yeah. That I agree. Crokinole, when you get that flick just right, it is very, very satisfying. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, dexterity games can be very satisfying with the components. But like, it doesn't have to be just like games that use the components for part of the gameplay, right? Like, it can be games that don't need those components that's still like satisfying using the yeah. components. There's a dexterity game called Junk Art that actually mm. had two different editions. The first oh, edition yeah. was all wood, and then and the, the second, second one was plastic. Was plastic. Right? And I wondered when we would play with the wood version of the game, mm-hmm. wood tends to have more, I would say, irregularities than plastic when it is mass produced. I never played the plastic version of Junk Art, so I can't compare them, but I imagine the game might be easier with the plastic components because there's probably more, like the surfaces are probably level or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the wooden components, oh, okay. you've got little differentiations, just tiny, tiny ones, right? That could mm-hmm. affect. And that doesn't make the game less enjoyable. In fact, it actually could make it more interesting. But I wonder how the the feel of playing those two different versions of that game would be. Yeah, I think I, I used to have the plastic one. I don't know if I ever played the wooden one. So. But like the plastic pieces were, they, they didn't feel as satisfying as other dexterity games to me, I think. So I don't know if maybe the wooden one would feel more satisfying to me. Like, <laughs> just like the pieces themselves. I don't know. <laughs> So we said, for at least for me, plastic tends to feel nicer than cardboard mm-hmm. most of the time. But there are some games that have cardboard components in them that I really love. A couple examples of that would be Castell. The little Castellers that are all different sizes of like rectangular tokens. Like you would think... Mm-hmm. There's just rectangles, but you're on a flat surface, you're building up your pyramid of castellers. And if those were 3D and you were actually having to stack them, then you're adding a part to the game that literally is not part of the game. Like, you don't have to have skill to stack them up. You can just lay them on the table. (laughs) Uh, But I like the feel of the little cardboard dudes and how Mm -hmm. the different heights are. That one's pretty good. And then I also love the hotel building from Mord Imarosa that is made Mm -hmm. of cardstock or cardboard, stacking all of the little levels of the hotel onto each other and then dropping cubes into it is always so very satisfying. Yeah, I I didn't think of any cardboard things that I find super satisfying. I guess other things in board games, there's dice, there's cards. I know a lot of people like linen finished cards, feel of that over whatever regular finished cards is. I don't know what it's called. Well, yeah, like I think the linen finished cards tend to be a little bit sturdier too, it feels like. I can appreciate linen finish on a card, but where I, a lot of publishers will do that, like a fancy linen finish on the box. Mm, That makes it hard to open. Yes, harder to open. And like, I don't know how much extra it costs them, but I wonder... Like, is that actually worth it? Like, will people... Because you're most... A lot of people are shopping online. They're not feeling the box before they yeah. get it. So, like, assuming that the cost is more to do the... Which I assume it is. I wonder if that is worth it. Or if I wonder if there's any board game publishers out there that have, like, data that they can show, like... <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much linen finish is. But yeah, I don't, I don't like linen finish on the box because it makes it hard to open. <laughs> I like... My favorite finish on the box is matte finish. When I had textbooks or like books back in the day when it was matte finish. I didn't know what it was called, but I loved that smooth. I would just always like, when I had a book like that, I would just rub rub my hand over the cover and be like, ooh, I love this. (laughs) And um, I also do that with board game boxes. 
Nice. Yeah. Don't don't give me a glossy box or board, A, because the if the board is glossy, then it's going to reflect every light shining at it and you can't see things. That was one of the many reasons I did not like the hunger from Richard Garfield was because the board was shiny. But even like the box being shiny, I feel like then like obviously human hands have oil oh, on them. Yeah. And yeah, like it could get smudged up more easily. So I don't... You could stay away from the gloss. The high gloss is not... not not good for board game <laughs> flat surfaces. And then I, I got to talk about money because paper money is like a big no-no in the hobby board gaming. People, a lot of people don't like paper money. I mean, it's harder to quickly manipulate, it mm. seems generally. Like it's not that people care that it's paper per se, but like it's not as quick to move around. But I think with that, it also depends on the type. Because I think when people think paper money, they think Monopoly money, which is like just plain paper. Yeah, the thinnest paper possible, yeah. basically. <laughs> which is like hard to separate, hard to like grab, but I actually like the paper money in Arkwright. It's like a more shiny, thicker paper. And so like, I liked that money. I liked holding it and like doing it, but that, that was before I got into like using poker chips. So I don't know. <laughs> I haven't played Arkwright in a while, but like, I, th I think I still like that money. And then other people like use metal coins. People use poker chips because <laughs> like that makes it easier to handle. And also it's like, it's just fun to clink around poker chips and metal coins. Yeah. I mean, I think the only game I've ever played with poker chips was the 18xx game that I played <laughs> with you all. That's kind of expected with a lot of 18xx games, mm -hmm. right? Is that you're going to have your own poker chips to use as currency. Yeah. And back in my poker playing days, <laughs> I handled a lot of poker chips. <laughs> like many, many, many over the years, both working in casinos and being a poker player. I used to know how to shuffle chips. I could do the the hand thing where you'd pull one out and flip it oh, around uh -huh, or whatever. Uh -huh. I could do that almost, like kind oh, of. Cool. Now, not at all, I'm sure. <laughs> like it's been years. I learned to shuffle them from playing 18x, I think. Well, oh, shuffling, yeah. Shuffling the chips yeah. is easy. I can yeah. do that. <laughs> but the one where you like roll the, the coin in oh. between all of your fingers, I could uh -huh. never get that one. That was the one I could never do. <laughs> I have a friend who's a professional magician, so <laughs> he can do that. <laughs> nice. And I think it would be wrong to talk about tactile board games without mentioning Nyctophobia, which is mm. a game that oh, you yeah. play blindfolded and literally are using touch to get around yeah. to actually play the game. So when you're talking tactile, I'd say that one kind of takes the cake. Yeah. Well, yeah, that and in the palm of your hand, which I talked about <laughs> recently played. But yes, so there are a few games that use touch as a mechanic, which is really neat. Yeah. We would love to hear from you all what games you love to feel. Not necessarily, <laughs> whether you love to play them or not is, is not the issue. What games feel good, y'all? <laughs> Tell us in our Discord channel or on social media, and we would love to hear from you. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for more content and links. This episode was sponsored by Grey Fox Games. Become the leader of a fictional doomsday cult and try to gain followers without attracting too much attention and profits of doom. Coming to crowdfunding soon. And don't forget that as a Blitzketeer, you can get 10% off your entire order at greyfoxgames.com, including promos, exclusives, and upgrades not available anywhere else by using the code BGBLITZ2023 at checkout. Join the Blitzketeer community on Discord for game nights, discussions, and more by following the link in the show notes. 
Support the show by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. And if you like us a lot and want to support us monetarily and get some cool perks, check out our Kofi at ko-fi.com slash today. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Until next time, open the game box baggies too. These components feeling feeling good as heck. Bye everyone. Bye. Check out our Kofi at co co. How <laughs> <I always> do <laughs> that? <laughs> Ko. Okay. Hello and well. <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> at least I I like messing up in the beginning. That's that's better than messing up midway through. Mm-hmm.